Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. One in five British Columbians are without a family doctor, and the situation is getting worse. In fact, by 8 o'clock this morning in Surrey, the Brickyard Medical Clinic was at capacity. And here in Victoria, unbelievably, the sign on the door at the James Bay Urgent Care Clinic reads, and I quote, until further notice, we're not able to offer drop-in doctor urgent care, end quote. This is the reality that people are facing in our province. Family doctors so essential to the system that we appreciate in British Columbia are leaving their practices. Walk-in clinics, the wait times are the longest in the country, and our doctors, nurses are overwhelmed. Results matter, and the minister knows the results are getting worse everywhere in the healthcare system under this government. And yesterday, we learned from the minister that he will not be tabling the Health Human Resources Plan until the fall, a year late. When is the Premier going to fix the broken system so that British Columbians can get the care that they deserve? Minister of Health. Well, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. And uh, the member will know that the issue of attachment to a family doctor, the number of people lacking family doctor doubled from 2003 to 2017. This has been the trajectory of things, essentially increasing every year except for 2008 and then 2018 and 2019. One of the major challenges at the moment for in-person visits to family doctors is the decision that I made and the Ministry of Health made in consultation with doctors in April 2020 to, move, to create new billing codes for virtual care to support at the most difficult time in the history of BC healthcare, family doctors and primary care at a key moment. And that was a successful initiative. And family doctors, who are the foundation of our primary care system, deserve the credit for it. We went from 17,900,000 in-person visits to 5.5 million. But we increased the number of fee-for-service visits by adding virtual visits. This has had a profound effect on our, our system as well. There is an increased complexity of patients that family doctors see. The result of the, all this is that we need to continue to take the steps we're taking that are in consultation with family doctors, that have family doctors at the center of it and divisions of family practice uh, at the center of it, which is building out primary care networks and addressing fundamental issues in our fee-for-service system, which favor, I would say, uh, both seem to favor episodic care and less serious care. We've got to take serious steps, and that's what we're working with family doctors to do. Leader of the official opposition, supplemental. Well, thank you to the minister. I, I think that the minister has no idea what his answers elicit from people in the healthcare system when they hear the same answer day after day after day after day that fails to acknowledge the reality of this challenges, not just for our healthcare workers, but for patients in British Columbia. Surely to goodness, the minister cannot think that it is acceptable to find a sign on a clinic that says until further notice, no help here from, for urgent care. It's simply not acceptable. And that's not the only situation. Since January, the people in Euclid 
have been trying to save their family medical practice, their only family medical practice. They approached their NDP MLA, and that accomplished nothing. At the end of this month, when the lease is up, another 3,000 British Columbians will lose their family doctor. As the mayor said yesterday, and I quote, quite frankly here, we're at D-Day, end quote. That's the reality of how British Columbians feel. Another 3,000 patients at risk of losing their family doctor. The minister might be uncomfortable with the questions, but it is time that he gave a meaningful answer that gives hope to British Columbians and healthcare workers across this province. Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, it's not just statements, it's action. It's yes, 59 primary care networks in BC developed in consultation with family doctors that have added 965 people to that system to support family doctors and to provide basic patient care. That's action. That's action. The member, the member uh, says it's not working. There, it is extraordinarily effective. And, and you know, I, I'm interested in the opposition's view, um, honorable speaker, of an issue of attachment to family doctors that in the years when they were in government doubled, honorable speaker which increased the rate, because you say, oh, there's more people in the population, the rate increased by 80 percent. Those were the circumstances. Then we are taking actions, Honourable Speaker. We're adding primary care centres. We're adding uh, primary care networks. And the members try and pretend that COVID-19 didn't happen at this moment. They try and pretend, Honourable Speaker. The most... Let's hear the answer, most, please. No, no. The members, most... Let, let's hear the answer. Members? You know, you know, Honourable Speaker, it actually happened. We went in one year. It actually happened, Honourable Speaker, in primary care. Members, question was asked. Now is the time for answer. Okay, let's hear the answer, please. Honourable Speaker, we went from a system that was overwhelmingly inpatient visits to one that was virtual visits overnight and had a significant effect on patients, on healthcare providers, on doctors, on everybody. That is the point at which we are at now. And the job is, I think, to go step by step, work through these issues that are real for family practice doctors and increase complexity for them, increase challenges for them, and the work that they're doing, which is, continues to be extraordinarily challenging in the community, to support them with teams, and to continue to do that work, not to talk about it, talk about it and, and respond with rhetoric, but with action. And that's what we're, we are doing, and that's what we'll consistently do in the days and weeks to come. Member for West Vancouver, C to Sky. Uh, thank you, Speaker. Well, um, speaking of rhetoric, it's really no consolation to people in communities that are losing their family doctor. Certainly, we haven't seen any action in the Sea to Sky. In Squamish, the Diamond Head Medical Clinic has lost over a third of their doctors and last month wrote the government asking for help. The letter says, and I quote, all of us have a breaking point. 
end quote. I don't think there's any question about that. Will the Premier act and what will the Premier do to before, before more residents in Squamish lose their family doctor? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, uh, acting is what this is all about. Uh, it, with respect to... No. We have, Honourable Speaker, in BC, the largest family practice residency program in Canada. We do because we've added 60 additional spaces under this government. Action, action there. Action to, yes, add nurse practitioners. Double the number of nurse practitioners. Action to create 59 primary care networks. Action to create urgent and primary care centers. Action to create indigenous-led primary care centers. Action to increase uh, community health centers and to support and expand the ones that we have. All of that is Members. significant action. The, you know, and we are going to, in this system, working together, and it's tr as true in Euclid as it is in Sea to Sky, to working together on the ground to address issues that are significant for people. That's what my colleague, uh, the MLA for the area, has done and led that effort to continue to make that happen. And that's what we're going to do in Euclid and in Sea to Sky. Member for West Vancouver, Sea to Sky, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, regardless of uh, the minister's statements, um, I've had correspondence from uh, doctors on the bay in Horseshoe Bay, uh, Squamish, Whistler, had a big delegation from Pemberton just last week. Residents in the Sea to Sky do feel like they've been abandoned. Nobody can even take a bus to get to transit or to get the doctor if we, if we, uh, uh, you know, if we had a doctor. But now they're losing them. 40% of Whistler residents are without a family doctor. Clinics are closing. Just last week, the, the Town Plaza Medical Clinic in Whistler, gone. This is what it feels like if you lose your doctor. And this is for one of my constituents, and I quote, I've watched loved ones suffer and die due to the lack of adequate primary care in this province. The fact that it's gotten this bad is disgusting. End quote. When is the Premier going to fix this? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, you fix it by training more doctors. You fix it by adding family practice doctors. You fix it. Well, Honourable, Honourable Speaker, members, we have, and we've done that, Honourable Speaker. Members. Uh, well, Honourable Speaker. Mem members, when the question was being asked, everybody was quiet. Now it's the time for a listen to answer. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, adding 20% more residency spaces is action. Adding primary care networks that aren't created by me, but created in, in consultation with local communities and local divisions of practice, family practice, that's action. That's how you address it. You build out team-based care. We need to train more family practice doctors, and we need to support the family doc practice doctors we have. As members know, um, and this was true when I became Minister of Health, it's improved somewhat since then, but it's still the case. We are overwhelmingly in BC a fee-for-service system. 80% uh, in BC, 79% in BC, 46% in Ontario, for example, were overwhelmingly that system. And one of the things that system does not do adequately is deal with the increasing complexity of patients. 
that's the system we have, and that's why we have to work together in a system we work out together to ensure that our, our family practice doctors are, sta uh, are, uh, are stable in the community. But we have invested the resources. We've added 965 people to primary care networks, and we're going to continue to do so. Member for Saanichan North End Islands. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Mental Health Act is outdated. It prioritizes discipline and control and makes people with mental illness feel like they failed for having a health issue. The Act hasn't been seriously updated in 25 years. Advocates, legal experts, community members, and independent officers of this legislature have all called for a serious update and review of this Act. A couple of weeks ago, the All-Party Committee uh, of the, uh, reviewing the Police Act recommended uh, the same. The TAI reported that the government was modernizing the Act, and then the Attorney General said uh, that there was no plan uh, to modernize the Mental Health Act. Community members told me that they knew that that initial uh, report was too good to be true. In 2001, this government has celebrated the largest uh, investment in mental health services in BC, and yet it's remarkable that the government is investing all this money into a problem, but have not changed the foundation of the issue. It remains untouched. Decades from now, this government could be known as visionary leaders who responded to a growing mental health crisis. So my question, Mr. Speaker, is to the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, when is she going to review and update the Mental Health Act? Attorney General. Uh, Uh, the member raises some important questions about uh, uh, the Mental Health Act. It's one of uh, the statutes in the province uh, that deals with involuntary care. Uh, we have an Adult Guardianship Act as well. Uh, staff within the Ministry of Attorney General are doing a review of the Adult Guardianship Act right now. Uh, the member will also know we just passed in this House a significant modernization of the Mental Health Act, providing basic legal information to people who are involuntarily detained, uh, one that passed, I'll, I'll note, with all party support, for which I'm grateful. Uh, because it's an important part of our, uh, our system to ensure that people have the safeguards and are able to take advantage of them uh, as they move through the mental health system. Uh, we aren't able to do everything at once, but we're doing important work uh, on these uh, statutes that are really important to people's lives across the province. Member for Sandwich North End Island, supplemental. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. We actually have changed one significant part of the Act. We, we have not done a significant review of the Mental Health Act in decades, yet uh, we are expending uh, hundreds of millions of dollars on that act that is founded on values that are from a completely different generation. And those are the outcomes that we're getting. We know that outdated acts uh, can cause harm. They don't reflect the lessons of history or the tidal wave of social change that we've seen here in this 21st century. We can see this when police are the primary response to mental health crisis instead of trained crisis responders. That brings me to another act that needs updating, the Police Act. The committee reviewing the Police Act recently tabled our report a couple of weeks ago. It was called for transformational change. The Police Association, uh, BC Police Association, liked the report. The representatives that I spoke to uh, at uh, an event uh, earlier this week were very supportive. In fact, uh, expressed to me their gratitude for how uh, the committee articulated the challenges that police, police services face uh, in this province and how we 
uh, navigated what can be uh, tricky territory. The response from some when we tabled that report was that it was dead in the water. Why? Well, because governments can't do transformational change. Uh, the response from this minister is that there's going to be consultation uh, this summer. I don't believe that's good enough. This file needs leadership, Mr. Speaker. We've got a session that is almost over, and British Columbians haven't seen that leadership yet. So through you, Mr. Speaker, to the Minister of Public Safety, will he commit to delivering on the recommendations of this committee and establish an oversight committee to work with him to transform policing and public safety in our province? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for his question. And what I can tell you is, is that I think the, uh, the committee did uh, some outstanding work and did it deliver to this chamber, uh, and in fact to the public, a very comprehensive uh, report in terms of how we reform policing uh, in this province. Um, what is critical and what I have said publicly and when the, uh, the, the, the committee was struck is that we need to change and reform and modernize uh, the Police Act. Uh, and that work uh, is, is underway. And the work of the committee is going to be a critical component on the reform of that piece of legislation. And what I can tell you is, is that uh, my public statement so far has been is that the, uh, the report is now within my ministry. The analysis around the recommendations is underway. Uh, but what I can tell you and that we have committed to is that there is a new police act going to be coming uh, and the, uh, the, the report that was done uh, by the all-party committee uh, unanimously approved uh, uh, is a, a critical cornerstone of that work. Member for Abbotsford West. Uh, thanks, Mr. Speaker. Last week, uh, despite uh, having promised boldly creative measures to better protect citizens from the threat of prolific offenders, the Attorney General managed to underwhelm virtually everyone by announcing another study. Uh, predictably, this has done absolutely nothing, Mr. Speaker, to address the growing safety concerns of British Columbians and the attacks on innocent victims continue. Uh, on Monday, uh, here in uh, Victoria, uh, another victim was threatened and attacked uh, with a weapon. That prompted the Victoria police to issue a statement confirming that the suspect had been arrested earlier that day, arrested for breaking a court-ordered condition, previously court-ordered condition, not to possess uh, knives. Um, he was released. There are a variety of things that the Attorney General could be doing now to reduce these random violent attacks by prolific offenders. But while the list of victims of the catch and release approach continues to grow, apparently the Attorney General's idea of creativity is to call for another study. How many more victims of prolific offenders will there be over the next four months while the Attorney General and the government sit there and wait for another report? Attorney General. Well, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, a couple points. I know that the member who just asked me that question is a former Attorney General. Uh, I know he understands the independence of the judiciary. He's a member of the bar. He understands the structure of government, the structure of the justice system. When a court releases somebody on conditions, it's not my decision. 
It's not the decision of government. It's the decision of the court applying the federal criminal law. He raises an important question, though, which is what can the province do within that context to address these issues? And he suggests that the, frankly, important work that is underway right now around identifying some of those solutions is all that this government is doing, which is simply incorrect. We are opening 500 complex care beds across the province for people with serious mental health and addiction issues. We've opened uh, thousands of units of supportive housing that in communities like Vernon have driven down the crime uh, associated with people living outside and trying to survive on the street, a reduction of 55% in that city. So we are doing that important work. In addition, there's a working group of police and Crown Council right now identifying ways that they can better work together on this issue. And, and we have the investigation by a respected senior police officer and an expert in mental health and corrections issues identifying further solutions for us. So I appreciate the concern and the question, I share it. But what I would appreciate as well is education of the public around what we can do within the provincial context and what our shared work is together. Member for Abbotsford West, supplemental. Uh, thanks, Mr. Speaker. I, I listened carefully last week to the, uh, the attorney's uh, comments in the House, and I've listened carefully uh, again today. And I fear that he is addressing only, or attempting to address only one portion of the problem, Mr. Speaker. I used to prosecute in the courts. There are members on both sides of this House who have been involved in law enforcement, and I think they would agree with me when I say to the Attorney General, sadly, there is a group of people out there, a small group, but a group nonetheless, who are criminals. They rob, they steal, they threaten, they assault, they even kill when people get in their way. They have chosen to lead a life of crime and they will continue to lead a life of crime until they are caught and taken off the street. And until that happens, they're going to continue to terrorize innocent victims. The Attorney General's promise of another study does nothing to address this. And it has prompted comments from people like Chief Alphonse who have said, if that's the attorney's idea of creativity, then we're in big trouble. The attorney could dedicate Crown Counsel to prolific offender files. He could update charge assessment policies and provide general directions pursuant uh, to the Crown Counsel Act. He could expand the use of electronic monitoring technology. Those are all things that he can do today, but he has chosen to do none of those things, Mr. Speaker, and instead wait. It's the Attorney General's job and the government's job to keep people safe. How is waiting another four months keeping people safe? Attorney General. Uh, thank you, Honourable Chair, and I appreciate the suggestions from the member which come from the terms of reference uh, that I gave to these investigators to look at uh, how quickly these things can be implemented, whether they would be effective at addressing the issue. I think are preliminary questions to ask before rushing to implementation. I appreciate the member holding me to the fire on this. This is an important issue. We need to address it. Four months is a long time. So that's why I said to the investigators, if you identify solutions earlier, 
Don't wait. Bring them to me and we will address them. This is the same approach we use with money laundering to stop money laundering in our casinos. This is the same approach we use with ICBC to fix ICBC. And this is the same approach we're going to use to fix this issue. Now I note that in a previous question period, one of the members across the way, uh, it wasn't a question, it was just shouted at me, but uh, we had a program, uh, someone shouted at me, and so I looked into it, and, and they did. I understand four months is a long time, but when the, when the BC Liberals established a program, they had announced it in 2006, let me see here, they implemented it in 2008. And then when the program showed results, they canceled it. So we will take a different approach. Uh, we don't have to wait the full four months. If the investigators find results sooner that we can implement, we will. The precondition to taking action is to know that the action you're going to take has the highest chance of success possible. So we're going to do that, and we're going to address this issue. Member for Vancouver, Langara. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, as the Attorney General may have uh, monitored and saw, there was significant outcries and of concern expressed at the Public Safety and Violent Crime Council meeting in Vancouver, both at the end of April and last night. We continue to see concerns, particularly from individuals and other representatives of communities, including in Vancouver's Chinatown. There are marginalized Asians and seniors in their community, in their words, that feel a lot of fear of coming out and walking on the streets and in the neighborhoods. We've seen this unchecked violence and crime with no consequences on the streets of Chinatown, and it's only getting worse. The Attorney General's friends at Pivot Legal also spoke at last, last night's council meeting. The same Pivot Legal that received $150,000 from this government last year. No surprise, Pivot Legal supports the Attorney General's soft on crime approach. Yesterday, a representative from Pivot Legal explicitly called for a boycott of Chinese Canadian owned businesses that ask for more police protection. And I quote, I have no issue recommending people not shop at businesses that explicitly advocate for more police on the streets." End quote. Why is the Attorney General aligning with his friends at Pivot Legal by choosing to delay for another four months and doing nothing about the crime that is hurting the Chinatown community? Attorney General. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, I worked at Pivot Legal Society 15 years ago. Uh, was really proud of the work that I did there. Um, I worked when the other side of the house was in government, uh, when um, you know we begged them for housing, for mental health support, for harm reduction services, for a safe injection site, uh, things that they embrace now, by the way. Um, but at the time, they fought so hard against, we had to go to court and get orders. Now, it sounds like the organization is a long way from where they were 15 years ago. Um, but uh, I can share some information with the member about what's happening in Vancouver in terms of uh, criminal activity. Um, so we are seeing an increase uh, in, uh, in reports to Crown Council around what are called person offenses. Things like uttering threats, minor assaults, threatening communications. I say minor, it's not minor for the person it happens to, that's just how they're categorized. But we're seeing very significant decreases in property offense reports to Crown Council, a 44% reduction since 2017-18. Uh, 
a 41% reduction in reports to Crown Counsel on administration of justice offenses, and a 17.5% reduction in other offenses. So clearly we're seeing a change in the pattern of criminal activity. It's very concentrated in the downtown area. It's changed during the pandemic. And policing is part of the response. The member knows the Solicitor General intervened to ensure Vancouver police have the resources they need to address this issue. So it's unfair of him to portray this government. For, member for Langara will wait for his supplemental. It's, Attorney it's will continue. unfair of him to portray this government, and frankly me, as being opposed to police services where they're needed in downtown areas, including Chinatown. But it's also incorrect to present police as the only solution to this issue because they are part, and they will tell you that when it comes to the mental health and addiction issues that are driving a lot of this activity in Chinatown and other places, they need those social services as well. Services we put in place that, frankly, I had to sue the previous government to try to get. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, let's be clear. No one believes this Attorney General, with his background, is tough on crime. Everyone knows and everyone agrees that his catch and release system, everyone knows that his catch and release system has failed miserably. It's been failing year over year over year, all five years that he's been the Attorney General. The numbers are getting worse. Public perception of safety in their own community is getting worse. We're hearing a four-plus unprovoked stranger attacks in Vancouver each and every day, 17-year-olds in Surrey getting kneed and punched and kicked in the head while they're trying to take a bus home where they should feel safe, terrorists, Prince George, Kamloops, name the city, this is happening on the streets. And this Attorney General chooses to slough it off. And how does he slough it off, Mr. Speaker? He tells us he's going to have creative solutions last week. Everyone just wait for it. I've got creative solutions. His creative solution? Wait four months for another report, Mr. Speaker, so another 500 people in Vancouver and in Chinatown can be attacked, let alone every other city in this province. That's his creative solution. It's as if he's not in charge of a ministry and the Solicitor General doesn't have a ministry fully staffed with subject matter experts that could have been providing advice over the last two years on Members. how to deal with this problem. So again, when is the Attorney General going to stop passing the buck stop his catch and release, stop being so soft on crime, and actually start providing some results and some safety to the communities that have been demanding it and will keep demanding it over the next four months. Attorney General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Now, it, it is interesting the kind of crime uh, that the opposition is interested in, the kind that they weren't interested in. You know, when I uh, took over responsibility for the gaming portfolio and I was shown videos of people unloading bundles of $20 bills out of duffel bags. Members, 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 members. I wonder if, uh, if anyone on that side asked themselves the question, where does that money come from? Where does that money come from? And what does it mean as a government that we accept that? and support the activity that generates that money. So I just, I just offer that as an observation. I will say I'm incredibly grateful to the uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, in Terrace, to Mayor Bazran, to Mayor Helps, to many people who have uh, expressed their support 
for this important work. The same way we fixed the crime that was happening in BC casinos, that government ignored, that same method is what we're doing here. We've got experts in the area identifying solutions that we can... What have we fixed? What? People walked into casinos with duffel bags full of cash and we banned that activity. Members, the money from the drug transactions that are taking place in the downtown east side Leader of the official opposition. under their watch. Please, members, members, come to order. Attorney has the floor. So we're not afraid to address the issues, Honourable Speaker. We have the support of mayors. We have the support of uh, the Ch Chamber of Commerce and Terrace for taking these steps. We're going to address this issue just like we addressed all the other messes that that government left us. The balance of question period.